for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Molly Howard, CEO and co-founder of Laleen, which just opened its first West Coast store in Marin County, California. It's the fifth store for Laleen, which has championed the trunk show model and sells at retailers, including Net-A-Porter. I wanted to ask Molly about the brand's evolution since launching in 2016 with a focus on striped fashions and DTC sales. I also wanted to ask about its recent experience with customer acquisition and fundraising, considering the downfall of the traditional direct-to-consumer model. Welcome, Molly. Thank you, Jill. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. And hey, I just learned something about you in our pre-discussion. First of all, you're on a PC. (laughs) Second of all, because you said because I'm a banker. But anyway, talk about your banker past. Well, I was a banker in my former life. My first job out of college was at Credit Suisse, uh, where I worked in financial sponsors in the investment banking division of the company. And I did that for about three years in New York and then in London. And it kind of like molded me and trained a lot of how I function and operate in now a business that doesn't have much to do, honestly, with what I learned there, but just so many sort of like life lessons and just general work lessons from that time. I loved it. Yes. Um, Were there jobs in between? You jumped? Yeah. What was prior to Laleen? So I left uh, Credit Suisse to go work work at Rag & Bone. um, And that was kind of like my first experience in the fashion industry. And I really like targeted them. I really wanted to work there. So after two years of Credit Suisse, I had applied for a couple jobs there and they were just like, we really, you know, we really like meeting you, but we don't really have a job that works for your background and just like keep trying. And then a year later, I was in the London office at Credit Suisse and they reached out and they were like, we're ready for someone with your background. Because when I joined Rag & Bone, it was really in a, a, a big growth phase and they didn't really have anyone with a, you know, they had a controller, but there wasn't even a CFO at the time. So there was no one really in the in that kind of role at the company. And so it was a really cool opportunity for me to be a part of it during such a crazy growth period. And and while I was there, we sold a minority position in the company. So it was really fun because I got to be kind of on the opposite side of the table, like what I'd been doing at Credit Suisse. I was now the, the company uh, working with an investment bank. So it was really fun. I hear a lot about this transition from investment bank to a, a brand, a brand founder. There are a couple of you out there. Um, tell me about that transition. Um, how did it feel? Um, Was it a culture shock? Yeah. Well, I really, first of all, I really thrived in like a, I fe- you know, it was my first job working at Credit Suisse. And I, I interned there after my junior year, in my summer of my junior year. So that was my first. And an internship at an investment bank is basically just like a full-time job. Um, you're just a bit younger and you get paid a bit less. Um, but but it was a real, like, I dove in headfirst to a crazy working environment where you're working insane hours and you're exposed to, you know, these like really super impressive, crazy people. And you're really trusted with a lot of, kind of like important information and you're you really have like a quite active role from a young age you have so much responsibility it felt like you know I was just this like kid out of college and I was kind of given all this great opportunity at that job so for that I just like loved it and I was still young and had the energy to work the 20 hour days seven days a week and like never go anywhere more than an hour away in case they needed you, that kind of crazy environment. I loved it. Like we ate every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, 
at the office every day. Um, but I loved it. And it was such a like, um, community because they have these big, you know, you join with a bunch of other people your age and you guys are just all in it together. And it was really fun. I think it's changed a bit now. I gather like they don't work them as hard because it's sort of insane, but I really liked it. It was like pledging a fraternity or something. And then I went to rag and bone, which was obviously a super different culture. I was excited to not like wear pants suit every day or skirt suit or whatever it was. Um, and so I was really, I was really expressive with my fashion when I joined Rag and Bone because I was so excited to be able to like dress the way I actually wanted to dress, um, which was a big, 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 big change. Um, now I like basically wear sweatpants to work because <laughs> I'm a mom and I'm so tired. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's been like a really interesting transition from that first job to where we are now. There's a lot of things that I was like, young being like, if I ever start a company, I'll do this. If I ever start a company, I'll do that. And so I made sure that when I started the company, I did some of those things. Like I was like, we will start at 10 a.m. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good and for it was you. like one of the, yeah. And, it, and everyone who works here loves me for that. Um, but there's, there's like all certain things that, you know, cause I was just always, I, I was always someone who was like at an office, sometimes seven, but you know, typically five days a week with like a more traditional hierarchical structure, especially in banking, it's like super hierarchical. Um, and there were just things that I liked about that and that things I was like, I would change if I was starting my own company. So I definitely did away with the hierarchical aspect of it at this company. It's super, um, everyone's really, you know, on the same level in some respect, like everyone's voice is heard and there's a lot of, it's just a really friendly culture here, which is, was really important to me. And I think that Meredith and Valerie, my partners, um, you know, they came from Vogue, which similar is similar in a lot of ways to an investment bank. Um, and so we all kind of like brought our shared experience, but I think it meant that we have like a really sh similar and shared work ethic that we both got from our prior jobs that we, you know, hopefully is part of what made this work. Um, so yeah. Would you say Vogue is like investment banking because it's like always on? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it's a, you know, there's a lot asked of you, but you have a lot of responsibility. And I think it turns out some like really incredible people. We have so many colleagues now in this industry um, who kind of like, you know, cut their teeth there. And I think the way that they, they learn a lot um, – and Meredith and Valerie had such a good experience. One was there for 10 years, the other for 16. So they were they were kind of lifers. Amazing. Tell me how you met Meredith and Valerie. Do you go way back? We, we don't go way back. I was really like aware of them while I was at Rag and Bone. Meredith in particular, I always like saw pictures of her at fashion shows and things. And then she'd be at the office for, she was an editor, so she'd be there for appointments. So I was aware of her, but we didn't really know each other. Um, and kind of during the end of my time at Rag and Bone, I was just mostly honestly for friends and things, kind of helping some some friends and friends of friends who were either starting companies or had small companies. I was kind of just helping them on the business side. So whether that was like building them models or helping them with investor decks or even going to some investor meetings with them. Um, and Meredith and Valerie started doing something kind of similar, but much more on the creative side. So they were helping kind of young, young brands and some larger established brands with kind of all brand marketing aspects of their business, whether it was like styling shoots or styling shows or doing events or whatever it was. So someone connected us because they were like, you guys should all meet because I think 
you're doing kind of similar things, but on opposite sides of the business. And there might be some overlap or shared, you know, something you guys could share. So it's actually a kind of funny story. So we met and we talked about what we were each doing individually. We really liked each other. We really hit it off. And then they called me. I don't remember how much later, probably a month or so. And they were like, we want to tell you about this brand we want to start. So we went and sat down and they basically explained that, you know, they had decided through their time at Vogue, basically seeing, you know, just kind of tiring of, of all these brands that felt like they had to reinvent themselves season after season. They had to have like one season. They were like, this collection's inspired by like gone girl meets great expectations or whatever, something kind of like the, by the time it was on the rack and the like hundredth department store door, you just couldn't read that at all. You couldn't see it at all. There wasn't like brand consistently. The brands were exhausted. Like the four seasons a year was overwhelming them. And and they were like, at the end of the day, all the like chicest editors, stylists of Vogue, like they just wanted to wear either like a crisp striped button down or Breton tee and like jeans. Um, and they were also really interested about how this like one graphic, graphic in particular, stripes was really like timeless, democratic. It worked in all categories. It works for all people. And it's really not like a, you're not like, oh, this season people are really into leopard print or whatever. It was just this really timeless graphic. Um, that's been around in fashion forever. And, you know, it just always comes back, always, always feels relevant, always feel new and urgent. And so they were like, we want to build a collection around stripes basically, but we, but they were like, but we don't know how to start a business. You know, we know what we know. We know we don't, we don't know what we don't know. And (laughs) we really are looking for someone to be like our third who, you know, knows this, knows this shit, knows how to, sorry knows this stuff and knows how to <laughs> it's make A-OK it work. on the Glossy podcast. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I wasn't sure. Um, <laughs> and, and so they were basically like, if you know someone, like you know so many people in this side of the business, so if you know someone who might be interested. I was still at Ragamone at the time. So then I went away that week with two of my best friends, one of which, one of whom worked at Vogue at the time and knew them pretty well. And I was telling them, I had this meeting with Meredith and Valerie and this is what they asked me. And my friend Selby was like, they're asking you. And I was like, they didn't say that. I don't think they're asking me. And she was like, they're asking you, Molly, just like do what you do and go back to them and say you want it. So I went home from our trip and I did, I put together this like crazy deck. I was like, this is what it would look like. This is how we would sell the clothes. This is where it's going to be in 10 years. This is where we're going to do this and that. And I want to be, you know, your third equal partner and I want to be CEO. And they were like, okay, in that meeting. And I was like, oh. Oh my <laughs> <Wow>. gosh. <laughs> Easy and then, peasy. And then, yeah. So then I went and told my guys at Rag and Bone, the founders, and they were super supportive and helpful. And they loved Meredith and Valerie. So they were like really all for it. And they have remained super supportive and really valuable to us. Um, and then we just, kind of went from there. Oh my gosh. Let's really quickly touch on that uh, plan that you put together and you said in 10 years, which we're approaching that in a couple of years now. How close to the original plan are we? Mm, it's, a little, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. It's so funny that we've looked back on it and we laugh. Like we were just very, very ambitious in terms of mostly the thing that makes us laugh is is all the categories we thought we'd be in at this point. Um, like we had a timeline in the original deck. And it was just basically every year we had a new cat. We <laughs> launched a new category. And, you know, the one thing none of us had done was obviously start a business. And so I think that you, you obviously, we make a lot of decisions that are based on like what our customer actually wants from us and what she's telling us. So that's some of the beauty of, of being kind of 
direct to consumer or digitally native, at least first, like we have so much information on who she is. We talk to her so much. Retail is such a beautiful opportunity for that. Um, and I think that, so in some ways, you know, we've let them define the direction of the business in ways we couldn't have predicted before. The original idea, not everything was striped or was it? And like, what were the, what, what was the potential? What are the limitations? No, not everything was striped. It was just that there was a stripe or a line. I mean, the reason it's Laline and it, it, is the line, right? So it's not necessarily like all over in your face stripes. The idea is that it's something that kind of is like, it's the cohesion between every piece. So there, I mean, look at the sweater I'm wearing right now. It listeners, you may not, you can't see it, but it is a ribbed, uh, <laughs> chocolate brown cashmere sweater. And it's, you know, we're like, it's ribbed. So those are our lines. Like it doesn't have to be in kind of all over in your face stripe. It could be tonal. It could be mattress ticking. It could be, you know, embroidery stitching, anything like that kind of just to bring it all together. And it's also beyond the clothes, right? Like it's a lot exists in our kind of branding and in our language that we use. And we love a pun that involves line or stripe and things like that. It's just kind of the collective, like even we launched denim and they're obviously not striped. They're not all striped jeans. They're, you know, blue jeans, but it's, there's like a, there's an outline on the back that has, that's a, has a line on it. There's something that kind of just exists on every piece, whether it's subtle or whether it's totally in your face, because a lot of our best sellers st- selling styles are, sort of all over striped in your face. <laughs> yes. Pieces. Did you guys find that your um, kind of strengths did prove very complimenting your, your co-founders and yourself? Um, tell me about how you work together. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we have, I think we, we have a really, we have a really good working relationship, the three of us. And everyone always said three would, people warned us that three would be hard because, you know, you might feel sometimes like it was two versus one if you weren't all aligned, but we've never had that experience. And I had that concern, especially because they had worked together for so long that I was like, oh, it's going to always be them versus me if there's a disagreement. But that's really like, that's the case as much as the two of us. And I hate even saying versus because it's never that. Like if there's a disagreement, we're so deferential to the fact that it's like a majority role system with the three of us. Our board, our board of directors is the three of us. That's it. And it's a majority rules. And we're so like, we stick to that so strongly. Obviously, if someone feels really, you know, feels strongly about a certain point, they'll fight for their, what they want. But we're really, I think, good at like those limitations with us. Um, and I think also we, like what I said before, you know, we know what we know, but we're very aware that there are certain things we don't know that someone else may know better or whatever that is. So especially in like kind of our, quote unquote areas, um, we really are deferential to the others. And it's been, it's been easy, honestly, like it's been so much easier that than we even anticipated. Cause not again, none of us knew what it was going to look like. And you know, there's so much, there's stressors, there's every day, your usual stressors, there's big moments, but there's like, and then some of those are the most amazing moments in the end. There's so many of those where we're like, Oh, this goes in our book. This goes in our book. Um, <laughs> And having that experience together has just been amazing. And we all have these like, you know, big life experiences together as well. We've all had Meredith and Val or Meredith had children before we launched the company, but Val didn't and I didn't. And since then we've had between us five children and, and we're like sisters. I mean, we're, it's been a really, we're very lucky. It's an incredible working relationship and personal relationship. 
Yes. I mean, you guys seem to have your fun. It looks like <laughs> like people want to be around. People want to work there. Originally, you were looking at a direct-to-consumer model. Maybe um, did fundraising come in early and you kind of saw the opportunity with uh, advertising on some of these social platforms or what was the plan? So, uh, yeah, we raised money before we launched. Not a lot of money, just a bit in 2015. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the plan was to be direct-to-consumer. It's pretty much remained, um, you know, like a large, large majority of our business is direct. We started, it was direct to consumer like asterisk basically because we started with uh, Net-A-Porter. They launched the brand the same day we launched the brand. So we always had a little bit of wholesale, but it was more like switching the traditional wholesale direct model. So it was like, it felt like with most sort of traditional wholesale first brands, like about 20% of their business was was direct and 80% was coming in from wholesale. So we kind of wanted to swap that. We always wanted to have the wholesale presence and we continue to want that. Um, and we love our wholesale partners. Uh, we have more now than we did than we did then, but we're very selective and careful about adding them as we grow the other side of the business as well so that it never overwhelms. Um, and then we maintain that ratio kind of properly because I want, like I was saying before, I want kind of business decisions and even down to design decisions driven by what our customers are telling us they want, as opposed to kind of what like a, you know, wholesale department stores plan for the quarter looks like kind of um, in terms of even just like color palette or whatever it might be, just trends that season. Like we're actually just listening to our customers um, and ourselves. Yeah. What um, retailers, retail partners are a fit and um, are they looking for again, to kind of counter what you're saying about kind of controlling what you put out there. Are they looking for exclusives? Are you, is that um, part of the deal? Yeah, we've done exclusives, but most, I think mostly our exclusives have just been with Net-A-Porter. And I think that we're really, really very aligned with them um, in terms of what we want to put out in the world. And we give them a lot of, we trust them a lot. They've been amazing partners since day one. And that business is growing, keeps growing. And it's really, really strong, particularly right now. It's the strongest it's ever been, which is awesome. Um, so they're, yeah, I mean, for us, they're just, they were like who we wanted to work with from the beginning and they, they kind of, they remain that to us. Um, and it's also been a cool opportunity for us to think about international expansion. Net obviously has presence all over the world, but they were the first and kind of only way you could get our product if you didn't live in America. Now we ship on our website internationally and we've opened up some other um, international stores. So we're in matches now, which is in the UK and also obviously they sh ship globally. Um, and we are looking and going to start a few more international partners in the coming six months or so, um, which is cool. And then, yeah, and then we have a bunch of other, we have a few specialty stores who we really like. We're in Elise Walker, who's been a great partner to us, love them. Um, and that business is actually growing a lot as well. Um, we are just opening with Neiman Marcus. That's new for us. And it's really exciting. And we do sacks online. Um, and then if the, yeah, there's a few more, but, but, but it's a, I love that side of the business as well. I just want to like not let it overwhelm the direct portion of the business, but it's obviously amazing for customer acquisition and awareness and just honestly like valid. I think we were really validated to the consumer by like being on Net-A-Porter in the beginning, you know, otherwise it's like, who are you? Where do you come from? You're just this kind of random website that pops up. So I think that them validating our business goes a really long way. So I, I think it's really an important counter to the other part of the business. So I don't want, I don't see that going anywhere. 
Well, it's all the best luxury retailers. Do you um, consider you. yourself, where do you consider yourself in the market? A luxury brand? Do you like that word? I love that word. I think that we probably exist more in the contemporary space, but it's an interesting thing. I mean, the biggest reason that we wanted to be mostly direct to consumer was that we, so we could control our price point more. Um, so we price our business, we price our products as though we're 100% direct-to-consumer. We think about margin strictly between cost and our retail price. We don't build wholesale into our pricing system, and that is why our price is good and competitive. Um, so on our wholesale business, it's not. I'm not using that really to drive our, the bottom line of our business at all. Um, it's more for the reasons I said before about like awareness, customer acquisition, um, you know, even simply being able to like offer it to a larger audience in more places. Um, and obviously it helps with scale and everything like that. But in terms of pricing, that is really, we focus on, you know, positioning ourselves as a direct to consumer business so that we can price in a way that I think is more fair. Um, all that to say, to answer your question about <laughs> kind of how we define ourselves, it is, we are contemporary price point, but I think that we offer luxury product. We'll be right back after this quick break. Did you guys raise prices in the last couple of years with inflation and all the things? We very, very minimally raised prices, but we work really hard on our core styles to keep those at the same price. And we have been able to, which I think is really important. Like our best selling sweater is the Marin sweater. It's been $2.95 since it launched. It's like, it's a, it's a great, great price for a really, really high quality sweater that will just last you forever. Like, not to like sell the Marin sweater on this podcast. That's not what I meant, but it is a favorite of everyone from Anna Wintour to you name it. They all have it. I mean, it was Anna's, it was Anna's I preferred mean. COVID attire. She wore it for all of her like um, letters from the editor and stuff during COVID when she was writing from home. And that was a really cool moment for us. Hello. I would have led the conversation with that fact and stat. That's really exciting. <laughs> Good for you guys. Um, tell me about how your marketing strategy has changed. I, I want to get into the store, which I would think that that's a great uh, billboard for the brand. But yeah, what have you guys been working on? What's been working to acquire customers? Yeah, so so we approached marketing kind of uniquely, I think, in the beginning. Basically, you know, as we were launching, obviously there were a ton of other direct-to-consumer brands popping up. There was all this crazy like venture money flowing into them. There was such crazy spend on digital marketing. And I, this brings us back to our kind of original part of the conversation, but from all my years being trained, not all my years, my years being trained as a banker, um, I was really in the sort of private equity space more than I was exposed to anything venture related. So I was working in leverage finance basically. And the one thing that was like always drilled into me from the beginning was like, we're only looking at businesses that are like healthy, profitable, sustainable business. So it was a really big focus of mine from day one to not like pump money into the company to generate top line sales while like essentially like buying revenue, right? Because if you're spending more than you're making, like I was like, we will never spend a dollar that doesn't make, that's not like a profitable sale basically. Um, and that was a really big focus. So for the first two years of the business, we didn't spend any money at all on digital marketing. I mean, we didn't really have that much money, but there were other reasons behind it as well. And that's why I didn't want to like go out and raise $10 million before we launched the company. Um, so, so we didn't for a while. What we did do was invest in sort of content creation and storytelling around a community of women that we knew or 
we got to know because they became fans of the brand. So, I mean, even behind me right now, I have like a wall of some of our, um, some of our past campaigns, that one in the middle of Lily Aldridge, that was the first one we ever shot. Um, that was before we launched the brand. So beautiful. Um, yeah. I want her bangs. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Those are amazing. Those are actually clip on bangs. That's the secret. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so we started doing a ton of editorial stories as well as portrait series and the editorial editorial stories were more kind of like these fantasy like the ones behind me kind of on location um we had sort of they were you know kind of playing a role and they were these fantastical stories and we've shot I don't know probably like 30 to 40 of those to date um and those are with women who we really know and love honestly they're fans of the brand they're they're friends of the brand and they participated you know because of that. Um, and then we started shooting a portrait series, um, called inline. We've shot over 300 women in the portrait series. Um, we call them our La band, um, which is like a, you know, play on like a, I'm with the band kind of thing, but it's also like a mark in French, La band. Um, and we've, yeah. So like I said, we've shot over 300 people for that. Um, and those are all different types of women, like super recognizable names to ones you've never heard of, women who inspire us, women who, because we've always were like, we want to make a collection of clothing where, you know, the women are wearing the clothes and the clothes is not, are not wearing the women. So the point of these portraits was to really like embrace who the woman was, or some of them wanted to come in and be like, today, I want to be like Edie Sedgwick. And we were like, let's go. So that was our really like prime marketing strategy for a long time, um, using, using those to reach the world. So like hoping that the people who were participating would share it with their communities, whether it was large or small. Um, and they really did most of the time. Um, and that was really, I think what helped put us in like on people's radar. Um, so less traditional marketing and more of that. Um, and then obviously as like the business has, has grown, we started investing more in, you know, paid search and paid social and all of that kind of stuff, but always keeping in mind what I said to you earlier, which is like, as soon as your ROAS starts making your orders not profitable, I'm not interested. So that's kind of our approach. Um, and yeah, that world is changing and and we're trying to keep up and trying to figure it out. Um, and we work with some really great partners who are helping us um, to kind of make sure we're executing it properly. And, you know, that's like a really good collaborative effort between Meredith, Valerie and myself, whereas where I'm kind of, you know, digging into like the real numbers of it all. And they're, you know, creating and putting out beautiful content that, that these people can work with. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much it. And then the stores, like you said, I mean, when we opened Madison, I mean, the fear when we opened Madison, <laughs> that was the first lease. It was a tiny little store at 650 square feet, but you know, it's on Madison Avenue and 77 Street is pretty expensive. And when we signed that lease, we were just like, what are we doing? Is this a huge mistake? It was 2019. We we're so oh, terrified. Wow. We opened it in May. Um, which happened to be to coincide uh, with the Met Ball. Um, and it's it's in the building of the Mark Hotel, which is oh, where a lot wow. of people for the Met stay. So yes. it ended up being like this crazy opening weekend because we had all these, you know, people who were attending kind of stop in and their stylists would come in and pull. And it was like amazing. We got really lucky. It wasn't on purpose. It was like a complete coincidence timing wise. But we were terrified to open that store, but I remember being like, if we can break even on the store, it's okay. Cause it's a billboard, but that store has exceeded expectations beyond what we could have like ever imagined. That store is, I think quite unique. It's by far our number one store, even though it's 
really, really small. Um, it just does amazing business. It's such a, it's a combination of being like in such a high traffic area. I think being in the hotel really works. We're next to like a San Ambrose and we're next to a gym and we're, it's just like, it's become part of this woman's day basically. So you have this woman who's just such a regular customer. She comes to see the new clothes because we drop new clothes every Tuesday. She comes every Tuesday to see the new drop, or you have a crazy amount of tourists because we're just like in the middle of a bunch of really beautiful hotels. So it's, it's a really great, great store, but we were terrified. <laughs> and your approach is um, put out the collection in store is what where people can come in, try on what they see online and yeah. attract that foot traffic. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like I said, we drop new clothes every Tuesday and we do that online and we do it in store. But what I was saying before about kind of like, you know, price value, basically, I think that we're so inundated with all of this stuff online and you never know what you're actually going to get when it finally arrives to your door because some stuff, you know, it's shot in a certain way. You have no idea what you're actually going to receive. So I think the store was like a crazy turning point for us because people were coming in, touching, feeling, trying on, understanding like the attention to detail and fit and all of these different aspects of the brand. And then we're quite like pleasantly surprised by the price. Um, and it, it changed our online business in such a crazy way, just with even within a month of opening that first store. So I think for that, um, I think retail stores are amazing. But beyond that, our stores are all profitable and our stores are just crazy business drivers. So for me, I just want to keep opening them as much as we can. Obviously, you know, paying attention to what's going on in the world and and where we're doing it. Like, obviously, we're being really smart and strategic about where we think about having stores. But for me, there's just count. There's like endless opportunity right now with that. Yes. There's now a store in Dallas. They're Greenwich. Like, are these next two hotels? Like, <laughs> what's the secret about um, where you're well, opening them? Well, both Palm Beach and Dallas are in these kind of really luxury like shopping areas basically that with them have restaurants and spas and whatever else and that's the same for Marin um it Marin is it's in a place called Marin Country Mart and there's a ton of other beautiful retailers there but there's also like yoga and amazing restaurants and whatever else so I think we do really well when it's like a you know a a shopping destination as opposed to kind of just I mean and Madison Avenue basically is that and same with Greenwich Ave um it feels like some kind of like an outdoor mall in some ways um Greenwich in particular, because it's just a couple blocks that's all dedicated to, you know, retail and food, basically. I like some proximity to similar type businesses that aren't even necessarily just clothing or just shopping. Like I like our proximity. We like to be a part of a woman's day from like getting her coffee to getting her hair done to doing yoga to coming in. So so those are kind of what we, we look for um, in terms of what our adjacencies are, not necessarily even just simply like another store that someone might like who likes Aline. Other recent um, launches. Am I correct that you guys launched a resale option or? Yeah. Yes. Are you doing resale? And tell me what you've, your experience there and what you're, yeah. What you're oh seeing. my God. It's so positive. It's so amazing because basically we noticed that there was a lot of Laleen resale happening in the world. Um, like on the real real, for example, and it had like amazing resale. It was really crazy. We were like watching our resale be in line with much more like luxury products, which we thought was really exciting. Um, and obviously from an environmental standpoint, we love the idea that our clothing is not getting like 
thrown out, but it's being reused for someone to, but for, so I love the real real for that reason. Right. But in particular, we love the idea, obviously that they want to continue their relationship with Lillian and use that to maybe get some new Lillian or whatever else it might be. So we started a, a program called Relean, um, where you can sell your old Lillian directly on our site. And in exchange, you get credit. So that's been like a tremendous success for us. We're super happy with it. Great. Have you guys done more fundraising since the the original round? We did a small round in 2018 in the summer, but nothing since then. Right on. Because at this point, the business sustains itself, which is fantastic. And you haven't rolled out a new category every year, but tell me about that category (laughs) expansion. So we launched denim this year, um, which was the first new category really since launch. Um, we've, we've done a lot of collaborations, um, in other categories, which was kind of, we decided the best way to read if our customer was interested in a new category from us. So we've had a great opportunity to work with a ton of brands that we love sort of in everything from like accessories to jewelry, skincare, um, even we launched a sort of men's capsule collection um, that still exists um, with a friend of ours, Mario Carbone. Um, and but denim felt like the most obvious next step for us to take on ourselves. Um, I think we were always shooting product with denim from our personal denim, basically, um, because that's how we all dress. We all wear our sweaters every day and our jeans. And we were getting countless emails constantly that were like, what are those jeans? What are those jeans? And so for years, we've just been sending people links to Net-A-Porter to other jeans <laughs> that are that are in our <laughs> closets, basically. And at some point, we were like, okay, it's time for us to capture that. But we also were very aware that it was a totally new category. And with that comes totally different like rules, basically. We had to really start to like understand what it meant to make denim. Um so we did like a, there was a long learning process, a lot of talking to experts and going and meeting other brands that we love. That's the other thing, by the way, this is kind of a non sequitur, but there's this like reputation of fashion as being kind of cutthroat and competitive and that may exist, but it's really not been our experience. What it has been our experience is a lot of openness from peers um, to kind of like share their experience and share their relationships and their contacts. And so that, I'm not sure we would have been able to do denim without that um, because it was a real learning for us. And anyway, all that to say that we, we launched denim, we launched with three styles, the Molly, the Meredith, the Valerie, um, that were kind of the way we wear denim basically. Um, Mine is kind of like a mom jean, which was funny because at the time when we designed them, I was the only non mom. Um, (laughs) But now I'm a mom. So now I'm allowed to wear them. Um, Cute. And and then it's it's expanded since then. We have new styles. We just launched a new style called the Isadora, which is named after my daughter Isadora. Um, so cute. What are those? And two? that category is they're wide leg. Cute. They're very fab. <laughs> they're they're our top selling jean right now, which is exciting to me. That's awesome. What's your challenge right now? What's weighing on your mind? What are you working toward? Ah. <sighs> uh, well, what am I working towards? I mean, it's not really a challenge, but I'm I'm definitely working towards retail expansion and obviously something that exists with that is just it's a it's a quite a big undertaking, financial undertaking. And this business is hard from a cash flow perspective, right? Because you're spending all this money up front to create product and especially if you're not 
mostly wholesale where you're not getting these massive big checks in one day, you're basically like then slowly waiting for it to drip in to kind of pay for the product that you've already purchased essentially. Um, and so, so I guess, you know, opening a lot of new stores just places a new financial burden on us, but we're luckily in a position where we've, we're able to kind of keep chugging along and keep opening these stores rather rapidly. We have two other LOIs out right now, um, which is cool and in fun places. Um, and that's the other thing is also like, I guess I've said this a lot in some way, but we have so much information on where our customer is um, from our online business. So when we decide or when we start looking at a new market, it's it's pretty easy to go in and be like, okay, do we have a solid customer base there? Have we done trunk shows there? How have those trunk shows performed? Do we have wholesale presence there? How are those wholesale <laughs> stores doing? Um, we're making these decisions. We're not like off the cuff being like, it would be cool to have a store in Charleston. We're like, this is a market that's interesting to us for a lot of reasons. Um, and so exploring those. Anything unexpected about where, where your customer is? Big cities? Not really. It's kind of boring. They're, <laughs> they're <laughs> in all that. But I, you know what? I think that people are moving around a lot more now. And so, you know, like it's exciting more than surprising that there's, it feels like there's just more opportunity. All I feel like it's way less like you have to be New York, LA, Miami. Like it's now like, Nashville is a super exciting opportunity. Austin is a super exciting opportunity. Like Atlanta, you know, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm now just saying a bunch of places in the South, but, but it's, it's, it's really like, um, I just feel like the opportunities expanded. And so that I guess was surprising slash exciting that there exists these really, like really attractive markets all over the place. And, you know, you can become so like close-minded living in New York and you're like, you just like, you have tunnel vision a bit. Um, but it's, there's just so many places, even just in this country that are like really good viable options for us. And then beyond the country, it's like overwhelming to think about, but, but that too, for sure. Yes. I have to ask you quickly because we never talk about, or I don't hear much about the trunk show model and and that that's really, that worked to your advantage. Like it's a good, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. So that really is led by my partner, Meredith. She is so good at it. I, (laughs) I do them with her every now and then in the beginning, we all did every single one, just the three of us, but now Meredith really leads the charge with that. And Meredith is, you know, she's particularly Meredith and Valerie are amazing on them because they're so they're stylists, right? So it's really a cool opportunity for people to be styled by them basically while shopping, like how to actually put a look together. Um, and Meredith's also just like so enjoyable to be around and so social and she's just, really good at them. So basically the way that we format them is typically it's someone coming to us. Sometimes we'll be like, we'd like to look at this certain market. So we'll try to see who we know around to make it work. But typically it's people coming to us, whether it's another brand, a store, or just an individual. A lot of the time, I would say majority, it's just an individual. It's someone we know through a friend, through a friend of a friend of a friend. Like it can be super broad. It's the first time we're meeting them. And basically they'll kind of like present to us why they want to throw a trunk show for us. And then a lot of time it's in their home or it's in their club or wherever it may be. I mean, we've done them all over the place. Um, and we kind of let them lead the charge on how they want to structure it, whether it's going to be, you know, a cocktail party, a lunch. We've done it where it's been a panel and the three of us have been up there speaking to a group of women. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how it goes. And then we really do, I think beyond like the revenue you generate in the trunk show, because that it, it totally matters, but I think the real 
purpose of it is that they become some of our like best customers because they feel really invested and they really like get understand who we are as a brand. They understand the DNA really in a way that you could only get from having that like intimate time with the clothes and with the founders. And um, they just become great voices for us. They're really helpful in kind of teaching other people about the brand. Um, they just become repeat customers. And, and, and then of course, also like, like we were saying, it's a good way to understand certain markets and how we would perform in them. Well, last question, in addition to probably more, re- well, yes, more retail, um, 2024, what can we expect? I have to say, Anna is a fan of the brand. We need to get her in one of your shoots. <laughs> Let's do it. We'd love it. Come on. We're always shooting. We're literally always shooting. We just expanded our office and we're going to finally have like a, a photo studio for the first time. And we're very excited. We've really come a long way from when we started in Meredith's apartment and we would just like shoot everything in her bedroom to finally having like a secondary office with a legitimate photo studio. It's pretty exciting. Oh my God. So we'll get her in here. <laughs> Moving on up. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely still not like in a hundred categories, but we are starting to explore a new category beyond denim. Um, and then, yeah, like we said, retail, um, you know, we're all, there's also a lot of like internal progress and growth happening in terms of like team expansion, which is really exciting for us. Um, that's like my favorite part of this job. Like I never realized, I didn't go into it, like understanding how much that would matter to me. Like, I mean, if I had thought about it, of course I was like, yeah, that's an incredible thing to be able to like create a office culture with all these people who I like love, like family and have them be happy. We're doing, have them be like happy to come to work every day and be like, wow, this is so crazy that like we created something that is now just like such an important part of all these people's lives. But that to me is kind of like one of the most exciting things every day is coming in here and looking around and being like, wow, beyond like that we create the clothing that are on our bodies and everyone who works here. And then when we see people on the street wearing it, that's a crazy thrill, but it's also equally as exciting, I think to understand that you've like created this business that's now become such a big part of everyone who work here, who works here's lives. Um, so that for me is, is really exciting about this year. Cause we just earn next year because there's just, we keep growing. Um, so that's that. And then I'm trying to think of what are some other big things? I mean, we always have, there's always, there's always something with every new store comes like a new fun reason to throw a little party. There comes a new reason to launch some sort of special, you know, capsule. That's the other thing is like special projects. We're like the most reactive. (laughs) Um, Like we were just, I just, it's funny. I just, we just had an internal meeting about like special projects and how we need to like structure them going forward because it's always like Meredith or I standing up being like, okay, we're like, designing a dress for this special occasion or we're doing this or like we're doing a special sweater for Marin or we're doing, Oh, we're going to do a Brentwood pop-up and it's going to be every Sunday for four weeks. And the catch is that we have to set up on Saturday night after the hours of like 9 PM. And it's like chaos. Like we always were just like, we love a great opportunity. So we take it. Um, so there's just a ton of unexpected things that will just continue to pop up. I'm with you. All throughout the year. I think your original jobs set you up for this wild behavior (laughs) we're just like Val's favorite line is like always take the meeting and we really take that to heart so like we just we're 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 opportunistic we're up for it and we're just like really not there's just no sort of 
ego, no job is too small kind of vibe here. Like we are, we are, we're just up for the task. So there's, as a result of that, there's just always fun happenings. Sounds fun to me. Is it all women that work with you? No. Nope. It's mostly women, but (laughs) but there are a bunch of amazing guys here as well. Are you guys in the office every day? Uh, We're Monday through Thursday, Fridays. Everyone's remote. I mean, design is often in here on Friday just because of the nature of what they do, but but most of the company is remote on Fridays. But otherwise, I am like such an in-office person. Obviously, that's partially just because of my of my past jobs, but I think it's really important. And everything I was just talking to about like culture and and everything else, like our team loves each other. The other day, one of our designers sent us on all an invitation because she wanted to have us over to her house for chicken pot pie and black tie. And just like an impromptu. Yes. And that's very much the vibes here. Like everyone is friends. It's so, and, and like I was saying before about like lack of hierarchy, there's no, like I'm at those, you know, we're all of those things together. It's just, it's good vibes. And I just feel like that begets like the best possible product and everything else. So it's really important to me. So because of that, we ask people back in the office, like after COVID, obviously. Ah, I'm feeling the vibes. Laleen is a happy place to be, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Well, we went on and on. This was so fun. I could keep talking to you, but no, thank you, Molly. It was lovely. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.